All right, well, we're excited to see you guys this morning. We're going to jump right into um, part six. We're on a series called Faith, and we've unpacked several things about, about faith, and um, I won't rehash all of it here, but a couple of things I want us to keep in mind. Number one is faith, first and foremost, does not start with us. It's a move that God makes towards us. He loves us. He pursues us. Um, and he wants us to see him and know him, and he's got plans for us that are good, that he, that he believes long before we can see them and believe them. And so that's kind of the anchor point where we started. And then the last couple weeks, we talked about faith to face giants, just, just having that ability at times to recognize a huge obstacle in front of us and say, hey, this isn't something I'm supposed to just passively accept. God's given me the strength and ability to face this thing. And, and have some victory. So we looked at that two weeks ago. And then last Sunday, we talked about those seasons where we're not experiencing that victory, where life's just hard and it's been hard for a while, and how God gives us the faith to endure and trust him through that, and that he's actually up to stuff in our lives when we're in one of those seasons. And so now today, we're going to talk about something just kind of really practical, I hope. I hope this is practical for us today. Um, I'm titling this Faith for Today. Faith for Today. It's not always giants. It's not always enduring. Like sometimes it's just a random Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of one of those regular days. And, and my hope is that um, we would just find some renewed sense of purpose in the day-to-day. And so we're going to do this by reflecting on kind of the passage of Scripture that we remember on Palm Sunday. It's kind of this key moment in the life of Jesus. He's, he's spent a lot of time being very purposeful to teach people about who God is. He's healing people. He's performing miracles. Um, you know, there, there are people who are following him more and more passionately every day. There are also people that are furious with him more and more passionately every day. Um, there's not a lot of middle ground anymore. It's becoming clear. There's some people that are trusting him big time, and there's some people that are like done with him. And so he's coming up on the final week of his life, and I just want to read this story. I, I know it can be somewhat familiar to us. Um, all of the Gospels have some portion of, of this account of Palms, what we call Palm Sunday, where Jesus comes rolling into Jerusalem a week before um, his death and resurrection. Um, but we're going to look at this in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. We will also at some point be in, in Luke and Matthew a little bit as well. But let's just start reading. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they, that's Jesus and kind of his whole crew of followers, there's the 12 disciples, but there's more disciples than that. There's just this group of people that know him and love him and follow him. And so they're all journeying now towards Jerusalem. And so um, now they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. They're just outside of town. And Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. All right, so there's the account of Jesus rolling into town. Now, what should immediately strike us is that this is weird. I hope that strikes you. First of all, it's weird because I don't relate to having like a donkey or a colt tied up in front of my house. So, so let me help bring this into a little bit of a modern perspective, okay? It says this was a brand new colt that had never been ridden. So this is like someone showing up on your doorstep and you've got a brand new car. Not, not like a new to you car. I've had plenty of those, like a used, but it's new for you car. I'm talking about like a brand new, nobody's ever driven it, fresh off the lot car. A stranger rolls up to your house, grabs the keys, and gets in the car like it belongs to them. Like, what are you doing? I mean, I, I think the, the scripture is putting it, you know, in mild terms. I mean, these guys have you going like, what in the world do you think you're doing? Get your hands off of my ride. And so they say exactly what Jesus told them to say. Hey, the master has need of it. We'll send it back. Hey, dude, we're just trying to do this little ride-sharing thing. No big deal, man. And, and somehow, miraculously, they let him take the colt. Like, that should get our attention. There was something about what these guys were saying and who they were talking about that the people standing there were like, you know what, here, take the keys. Hopefully, I'll get my new car back. That's, that's kind of miraculous. Somebody gave the keys over to their ride. Not only that... Jesus gets on this donkey, begins riding into town, and people are so in awe of what's taking place in front of them, they're taking their good clothes, their outer garments, and laying them on the ground so a donkey can, can stomp across their clothes. They, they recognize something special is happening in this moment. Something miraculous is happening in this moment. And they wanted to figure out a way to roll out the red carpet. And so they said, hey, you know what? We don't have a red carpet. We weren't planning on this, but here, here's what we've got. And so they took their nice clothes and they rolled them out. That should, that should surprise us, okay? So this is just a little bit of the context of what's happening. Not only that, they're saying something very specific. They're saying Hosanna to the king. Now, if if you've kind of grown up in just sort of like modern American church, you know, we've got these different Bible words that we sing. You know, we were singing Yahweh this morning. I wonder how many of us knew what that meant, you know. Or we sing hallelujah, we sing hosanna. There's these different words. And we tend to just sort of assume they all just kind of generically mean the same thing. Something about God and I'm praising him. Hosanna does not mean I praise you. Hosanna is a desperate cry for help. It, it means save us. In fact, there's urgency in the word Hosanna. It actually means save us now. They're, they're crying out for salvation. So those are, those are some interesting things happening. Now, why are the people so excited? I mean, why would someone be willing to hand over the keys to their new ride? Why would people be willing to shout to Jesus to save them and, and take off their outer robes like their nice jacket and lay it on the ground and let a donkey trample it. Why would people react this way? Because the word was out. 
the different gospels record some things that were happening right before this moment. I'll give you a few examples. Number one, Jesus has just healed a couple of blind people. And they can see now. They're up walking around. They have all of their sight restored. Um, you guys remember from, from kids' class when you were younger, the story of Zacchaeus, right? Like the short little guy that had to climb up the tree to see Jesus, Zacchaeus. Jesus had just not only forgiven Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' life had changed. This selfish, cheating tax collector who was notorious for taking more money than he deserved, he responded to Jesus' forgiveness and he was showing up at people's houses and giving them their money back with interest. That would catch your attention. The selfish, greedy thief shows up at your doorstep and because he met this carpenter, he suddenly completely changed. And so they're, they're watching lives change. They're watching healing. Not only that, John's gospel records that Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. There was a buzz. What is going on with this guy, Jesus? And so there's just, there's these, this interesting scene going on. There's, there's this anticipation of the fact that there's this guy, Jesus, and when he shows up, miraculous things happen. And people were eager to see that. All right, you got, you got the scene? Now, that's not the only thing happening. There were some other things kind of below the surface that are a little bit surprising, okay? Number one, um, they weren't just excited about Jesus, but the Jewish people knew that it was like time for their Messiah to show up. I'm not going to unpack all these Old Testament prophecies today, but like there were a lot of things pointing to the fact that the Messiah would soon be arriving on the scene. So there was a general anticipation of a Savior showing up, and the people are beginning to believe, we think it might be Jesus. Now, now put yourself in the shoes of these people from 2,000 years ago. They're not living in like comfortable suburbs of Knoxville. Their whole people are enslaved to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is in charge and in control and taking taxes. And when they think Messiah riding into town, coming to save us, what do you think they're expecting? This guy is going to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, and we're going to be living large. Life's going to be good. Who cares about this jacket? Imagine the jacket I'm going to be able to afford in a couple of weeks when these Romans are out of here. They're, they are imagining a certain form of salvation. And maybe the first clue that they were a little off their game, maybe they were a little mistaken, is when Jesus rolled up not on a white horse, but on a donkey that's like hee-hawing all the way in. I, I mean, think about the absurdity of that. Like, if you were arriving to town like the, as the king, I'm pretty sure that donkey is like way down the list of what you would choose to ride in on. Yet he comes in on a donkey like, can, can we get past our preconceived notions, our little children flannel graphs, and just go like, I'm, I'm living enslaved to this huge empire. And I'm believing, I'm holding out hope that somebody someday is going to show up and get us out of this mess. 
And I've been trusting and believing in a God for a very long time who's promised a Messiah. And now this guy shows up and like dead people are coming back alive. Like something must be up. And then he rolls in on a donkey. Not only is all of this going on, but the religious leaders of the day who should have been leading the charge, who should have known, man, this guy might be the Messiah. Instead of looking for a king, they're concerned about what they're about to lose. See, in fact, they recognize something that most of the people don't recognize. If Jesus shows up and he's the king, who's not the king anymore? They actually took the arrival of Jesus more seriously than most of the people present. They've done the math. If he's in charge, I'm not. And so they did that math. And so they were nervous about Lazarus. And so John's gospel even records, they're not just plotting to kill Jesus at this point. They're also plotting to kill Lazarus because they want to quiet down the story. All right, so that's, that's the scene. Okay, so great. Jake, you said you were going to talk to us about the normal mundane Wednesday and how to have faith in that day. What does this have to do with this? Okay, because in the midst of all of this stuff that's happening in Luke's gospel, Jesus has a very specific reaction to what's happening all around him. There's people that want to kill him. There's people that are excited that he's there, but they don't really know what he's up to. And he shows up and he surveys the scene. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says this. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day. Can y'all say this day? Now, see, I don't really do that to be a cheesy pastor. I just do it to make sure everybody's awake. It's just kind of a little moment to get you talking. On this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. They're missing it. They have a blindness to what's really happening. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side They will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. His heart is broken over the fact that they are missing his arrival. They're missing the significance of him being on the scene. And he knows what happens when we miss his arrival. Things fall apart. Things break down. In fact, they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is heartbroken because they're missing the day of their visitation. Listen, peace was intended for them. Salvation was intended for them. But they missed it. They missed him. They missed what he was there to do. Now, notice the results of them missing him. Their enemies would surround them. Their lives and their city would fall apart. There, there, is, there is an inherent warning here. Listen, I realize on the surface, this just seems like this weird old school story from 2,000 years ago that we've heard a bunch of times before. But if we'll pay attention to what's actually happening, we should recognize that there's something that we should be cautious of ourselves. Because these are the people who knew. They knew the scriptures. They were God's people. Jesus had been telling them for a long time now who he was and what he was up to. And and they were missing it. They were either recognizing him as a threat to them doing what they wanted to do and them being in charge, or 
they had their own ideas of what he should come and do instead of saying, God, what is it you want to come and do? You're the king. What are you up to? And so in their familiarity, they missed him. They missed him. And that should cause us to take, take a moment and pause here. So what does this mean for us? I mean, this is a historical moment. They missed their day, in quotation marks, like the day of visitation, absolutely. But, you know, Jesus is, is alive and he's present every day. He's present every day. And so what can we maybe learn from this so we don't miss our visitation today? What might we learn? So I want to look at a couple things with you. How do, we, how do we live in this today mindset? Okay, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Um, the writer of Hebrews is now talking to us about being present in our day. And so here's what he has to say. He says, exhort one another when? Every day. Exhort one another every day. Not occasionally, sometimes, when you remember or think about, man, every day live some, with some intentionality. As long it is, as it is called today. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the moment of arrival. It's never just a Wednesday. There's purpose in today. You know what you're promised? Today. We're not promised tomorrow. I'm not even really promised five minutes from now. I've got now. And so he's saying, in light of the now, exhort one another every day. For what purpose? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want you to pay attention to there. He doesn't say that you, that you wouldn't be hardened by sin, that you wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It means we don't really recognize its presence. It means that we can miss it. We can be surprised by something that's creeping in and ripping us off, distracting us. And so he says, you exhort each other every day so that you're not hardened, calloused by just how easy it is to slip into living apart from God, not recognizing him present with you today. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, let's live out of the gospel. Let's live out of what we know about who Jesus is. So just like the people of that day who missed the significance of Jesus, we've got to be careful not to miss the significance of our moment-by-moment, day-to-day life and Jesus' presence there. So why does he, why does he warn, us, warn us of this? I want to read this quote to you. Paul David Tripp, he warns about this very danger of just slipping into this deceitfulness and missing it. He says, human beings who were created to live in awe of God are in grave danger when familiarity causes them to be bored with God. We, we were made to wake up in awe of him. He's real. He's alive. He's present today. God woke up today ready to show up in my life. The creator of the universe has made himself available to me in friendship. He calls me friend. 
He, he uses intimate terms. He calls me his son or his daughter. He's my dad, not, not this rigid, stoic dad. Like He even uses terminology like daddy, a familiar, loving language. The creator of the universe is, is alive and present and here today. And I'm meant to live in awe of that fact. And yet we can become bored with him. We can miss the mundane. Here's what's interesting about this. What's Jesus' answer to the mundane average day where things seem to, to be insignificant and his presence or some miraculous purpose does not seem obvious? What's his response to that? To ride in on a donkey. He takes the most humble and mundane thing and fills it with purpose. We'll never forget that Jesus rode in on a donkey. He filled it with purpose. The very things that we view as mundane, he views as filled with possibility. I, man, I got reminded of this big time this week. There were a couple moments, and, and I'm, I'm not going to get into the stories I would like to, because I really want to put some real life to this, but to protect the innocent slash guilty, I won't tell all the stories. But like There have been moments with my kids this week where it was the normal, average, mundane stuff. You know, the same conversation you have over and over again or a frustrating moment or a moment of correction. And it's just so easy in those moments just to be like, really? Again, really? You know, those hard moments, those hard conversations, or even just the day-to-day -day of life, like, I got to get up and go through the motions of this thing. But man, when, when Jesus is present, he's active in all those little moments that we call mundane. Because, because not only can we live in awe of him in that moment, like my kids at their most annoying moment in my life, they are image bearers of God. There is this living, precious, eternal being that's right here in front of me, and I have an opportunity to share the love of God with them. And one of the best things I could do at moments in time, one of the most worshipful, purposeful things I could do is to just be patient. Like, what does my annoyance and impatience communicate to my kids? You're annoying. You're not, you're not that important to me. You frustrate me. And I wonder how often we think God is viewing us that way. And he's not. He loves us. He's excited to spend time with us. He, he sees purpose and value in us. And, and in those normal, everyday moments with each other, they can be filled with a moment of visitation because God doesn't view them as mundane. He views them as valuable. And if I can stop and see the purpose in my commute to work, annoying Knoxville traffic, stuck on I-40 again, yet, what might happen if, if I'm aware that Jesus wants to show up in that car right there and be with me as I prepare to head to my job today? What might change in that moment? What might change as I go about my day living with a little more purpose because I recognize he's right here with me? And so in the mundane, he rides in on a donkey. When we get lost in kind of the normal just pursuit of random things, you know what else he shows up and does? The, the very next thing that happens after Jesus arrives into Jerusalem is he goes into the temple and starts flipping over tables. <laughs> he shakes things up a little bit. 
It's like, hey, guys, you're, you're kind of here with the wrong purposes. You're missing the boat. And he shakes things up, and he reminds them of what, what they're really there to do, to connect with God. So Jesus wants to come and interrupt and challenge our way of life. And it takes faith to believe that that's a good thing and that he wants to do that in this normal, average day I'm having right here, right now, that that's a good thing. So if I recognize this, what if I, what if I wake myself up to this? What if I see, okay, God, there is purpose in everyday life. How, how do I just have that kind of everyday faith that recognizes Jesus is here and he's present and this moment matters and he's with me and he's pretty cool and isn't it neat that like, I actually get to live this life he's laid out in front of me. And even if I'm about to face a day that I know is going to be hard, it's filled with difficulty, it's filled with responsibility, the beauty is he's with me and something miraculous could happen today. What if I wanted to live like that? I want to give you three just quick things you can consider so we can live like that, all right? Number one, see the issue. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore, don't be anxious about anything, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He's talking about getting caught up in the cares of life. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's not dismissing them as important. He just says, Listen, that can consume our vision. The normal everyday stuff can consume our vision and we miss living life with purpose. So he says, listen, the Gentiles, everybody does this, but not you. Your heavenly father, he knows you need those things, but do this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me recognize that today is a day to seek God and to recognize he's present. Let me see the issue. Secondly, the second thing I can do, I can start fresh every day. If, if you're like me, whether I'm preparing a message like this or I'm, I'm doing just some of my own listening to somebody else teaching or devotional work, like every now and then God just kind of knocks on my door and reminds me I'm doing this again. I'm just kind of living life not recognizing his presence. So you know what? Thankfully in Jesus, I get a fresh start every single day. I think this is really cool that this verse is hidden in the book of Lamentations where there's this kind of sorrow and mourning over um, a lot of difficulty and bad circumstances. And in the midst of that, the prophet writes and says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, I think one of the things that rips us off from living with purpose every day, the first thing I do is when I realize I haven't been doing that, I beat myself up. I feel guilty and go, why haven't I been more faithful? I know Jesus loves me. I know he's real and alive. Why haven't I been living that way? And then guilt and shame piles on to neglect right? I've been neglecting him. Now I'm feeling guilty about neglecting him. Man, that's really going to make me want to spend time with him, right? It pushes me the other way. But Jesus didn't come to condemn. And so he says 
this mercy that's new every day, it's not based on your faith. It's based in my faithfulness. You know what? You don't wake up every day living with purpose, but I wake up every day living with purpose. I'm right there with you, even on the days when you're missing it. And so you're awake to me today. You want a fresh start today? Let's go. I'm here. I'm faithful. I'm ready. And so there's a fresh start. So recognize the issue. And then, man, fresh start today. And then finally, here's how we live that out. Psalm 118, 21 through 25. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Jesus, I'm letting you, I'm living in that Hosanna. Come save me today. Thank you that you're my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. He's saving me the way he intends to. The way he intends to. See, I should recognize the scandalous nature of letting him be king just the way the Pharisees did. I should recognize the significance of that the way they did, but I should respond differently. They recognized what it meant for Jesus to show up and save and be king. They just didn't want that. But I can recognize the significance of that, that he's going to be king in my life today, and I can see it as a good thing. I can, I can be in awe of it. The, the writer of the psalm here says, it's marvelous in our eyes. God, this is really good news that you're going to be my king today. Verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. So it's marvelous that you're king. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And oh, by the way, help. <laughs> I love how those two verses are side by side. I'm going to be joyful about today, but like, help me have some success today, right? He's an optimist and a pragmatist at the same time. Like, today's going to be good. I'm excited, but man, it's probably going to be hard too. So help me out. And God's faithful to do that. that. That's how we have faith today. I recognize the inherent ability in my nature to just settle and coast and miss his arrival. And I don't want that. My own life and the lives of many of my friends are littered with a day that becomes a week, that becomes a month, that becomes months, that becomes years of neglecting the beauty of a living daily relationship with Jesus. And when that neglect creeps in, you know what happens? The enemy surrounds and the family suffers and the city falls apart. And we wake up one day and go, oh God, how did I get here? You didn't get there because you stepped off the cliff one morning. We get there a little bit at a time, a day at a time, not living in that sense of awareness that he is here and he is present and he is alive today. And he wants to visit me today. And it instills my life with purpose. I want to wrap up by just looking at something that I thought was kind of cool. And I hope this is cool to you guys and we'll, we'll close with this. So I mentioned one of, the, one of the things that Jesus did right before riding into town is he healed a couple of blind men. Um, I just want to look at this with you guys. This is found in Matthew's Gospel chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. And so remember, he's traveling. He's coming in close to town. 
He's on his way out of Jericho, heading towards Jerusalem. And on this road, a crowd is following him. And we're going to pick up verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now check this out, okay? These are a couple guys that are just stuck. They're stuck on a main road, and the world is just passing them by. Ever felt like that? Are you just stuck? The world's just passing you by, and you're just kind of there maintaining? That's where these guys are. The world's passing them by. They adopt the same terminology and language that the crowd is using when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem. Hosanna, son of David. They're saying the same thing. Save us, son of David. But they've made it personal. They're not gathering on a Sunday for generic worship. Hey, I'm supposed to do this once a week. Let me sing some stuff about this Jesus guy. They're saying, Jesus, you're right here. You're right now. I'm sitting here stuck while life is passing me by and I recognize you're here. You're present as life is passing me by and I'm saying, help me right here, right now. Help my blindness. And they call out to him and he stops and acknowledges them and he heals their blindness. And what happens next is so cool. He heals their blindness. How do they respond? They sit there and go, well, that's pretty cool. I can see now. No, they get up and they follow him. Now, I, I cannot prove what I'm about to say, <laughs> okay? Like, there's just moments in time where, like, it's just an opinion. But I believe this with all my heart. Two blind guys get healed on the road to Jerusalem, and they immediately start following him. And we roll into the next chapter, and the very first verse right from here of these two guys following is this. Matthew 21.1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately find a donkey tied in the colt with her. I believe that the two blind men who got healed and followed him were the same two people he sent in that village to go get that donkey for him. That's how Jesus works. That's how he works. What, what does all this mean for us? If you have found yourself just sitting there as life passes you by, cry out to the Jesus who's present for help and say, heal my blindness. And then let him invite you into the normal everyday life where he's going to surprise you with what he does. Because he's going to do really cool things every day in really surprising, humbling ways. Hey, go get that donkey over there. I want to do something cool with it. So he shows up. He shows up in the humble, surprising, simple ways. And that's how he changes lives. That's how he changes lives. May he change our lives today. Let's pray. 
Jesus, I, I thank you for all that the moment of Palm Sunday has meant for eternity, historically. Jesus, I recognize that it was the fulfillment of hundreds if not thousands of years of people longing for a Savior, prophesying that you would come one day, predicting that you'd come riding a donkey, predicting to the day, in Daniel chapter 9, predicting to the day, this day, that you would arrive on the scene, and you did. God, we acknowledge the, the significance of the moment we're remembering today. Jesus, my prayer for us is that we would recognize that each and every day with you holds that same significance, that the eternal risen king is present and active in our normal everyday lives. God, would you help us see? God, heal us of our blindness, help us to see you present, and help us to join you in the normal, everyday, mundane things that are filled with eternity because they're filled with your presence and your love for people. Jesus, help us to have everyday kind of faith. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.